Thank you for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This series named Signs is for you to answer the question, Why give Jesus authority over my life? Good morning. Good to see everybody. There are two things. There are two things. When you meet somebody new, there are two things that you want to know about them. Two things that you want to know about. What is the first thing that you want to know about somebody when you meet them for the first time? What is, what, what is, what's the first thing? Huh? Who are you? Who are you, right? What is your name? Who are you? I want to know who you are. What's the second thing? Are you married? <laughs> you were supposed to put a donut in your mouth and stop talking. <laughs> Careful when you give people the chance to... <laughs> Just eat the donut. Just eat the donut. What's the second thing that you want to know about somebody? Huh? What do you do? What do you do? Where do you work? What do you do with your life? What do you do? What do you do? There's a, I think it's a Toyota commercial. It's a couple years old, so, but I still see it every once in a while on TV where there's, it's like a, it's like a neighborhood barbecue and there's a couple of guys standing there. They're eating, it, eating up and, 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 and one guy's like, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do for work? And the guy flashes to him and his truck and all the things that him and his truck, I think it might be Toyota or something, all the things that him and his truck do. And it's all these different things. But when it flashes back to the guy, he's kind of confused on how to answer that because there's not one thing that he does. And, 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 and I kind of I kind of, uh, I, I kind of relate to that. Not that it's you know, me and my truck, my guy truck, and my guy things that I do, but Elijah reminded, my oldest reminded me of this this week when we were going to his soccer practice and, and we, were, we were traveling and, and, and Elijah goes, what, is, what all do you, what all is your job, Dad? Well, I, I, I pastor and I referee soccer and I coach soccer and I substitute teach. And he was like, oh, and you play soccer. I'm like, well... I don't get paid at that, so that is not my job. Thanks, son, for reminding me about that. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we want to know who are you and what do you do. Last week, we started a series called Signs, that, and we're looking at the life of Jesus and the questions that people have about Jesus and the, the, the question that we want everybody to answer during this series is, why should I give Jesus authority in my life? Why should I give him authority in my life? Why on earth should I do that? There was a question that people had in Jesus' day. Why should I give you authority? Why do you have the authority? And no matter if you are somebody that we call a fan of God, somebody that's been a fan of God for many years, or if you're brand new to this church thing or just re-entering this church thing or re-entering this Jesus thing, we want everybody to answer the question, why should I give Jesus authority over my life? And last week we took a look at who is Jesus? We're answering the question. Who is Jesus? The first question that everybody wants to know about everybody. Who is Jesus? And we looked at that he is the branding of God. Companies have a brand. And that brand is putting an abstract concept, which is who they are and what they will do for your life, into concrete words. 
And we saw that Jesus is the word of God, taking the concept of God, who he is and what he will do, and making it concrete. And Jesus put flesh on it. Ultimately, that's what brands want. They want people with flesh on to live out their brand. And I told this story, and since we had so many people sick, last week was the survival of the fittest. Like, if you could be healthy and well, you could be here last week. And so uh, I told this story about how I had a lot of car repairs uh, done to my car. But one of the things that, 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 that I needed done, but they weren't supposed to be doing, was, was they were supposed to, re- or they, they repaired a door, that, uh, a door handle that I had busted over two years ago. So I had to roll down my window. Every time I wanted to get out of my car door, I had to roll down my window. And they said, well, we had this extra car door handle sitting around, and we put it on your car for free. And we said, that's grace. That's grace because the word of God came and he put flesh on to show us God's unconditional love, who he is, his love, and what he will do, grace upon grace. And we need to understand what grace is. And grace is, is abundant need, but giving, giving in abundant need. And this car company, this car repair company gave in my need. I needed a car door handle and they gave and they gave it for completely for free. But what if, what if, what if they would have said, not only that, but the $1,300 that you need of car repair today, completely free, completely free. That'd be grace upon grace, wouldn't it? But what if they would have said, any repair you will ever need forever, We'll take care of. It's grace upon grace upon dump truck full of grace. And that's the same thing that Jesus does is that he gives us grace upon grace because we are broken down cars and we break ourselves down, but he continues to fix us no matter how much we break down. And that's grace upon grace. But, but now we need to answer the question, who is, not just who is Jesus, but what did he do? Because... If you just read the Bible, if we read the stories of Jesus, or, or maybe we have this image of Jesus, or maybe we have this Sunday school image of Jesus, we kind of think maybe he's like the hippie Jesus. He walks everywhere, he has long hair, maybe a scraggly beard, he has sandals, he always seems like he's glowing, <laughs> and he spends a lot of time in fields, you know? <laughs> Hippie Jesus, and maybe come to think of it, maybe Jesus needs a job if he's hippie Jesus. What did Jesus do? What was his work? See, people in Jesus' day were wondering that same exact thing. What do we do? What are we really doing when we, when we, when we are asking, who are you? And What do you do? What are we doing? We're sizing them up, aren't we? Can I take you? Can I take you? Can my life take yours? Can my family take yours? Can my career take yours? Can my truck take yours? That's what we're doing. We're sizing people up. And and we can be friends if I'm just a little bit better than you, but just a little bit better than you because we can't be that far apart because then we can't be friends. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's, I'm just saying that's what we do when we are asking those questions, right? That's the same thing people were doing in Jesus' day. They were sizing Jesus up. What is this guy all about? But first, first, and part of the story, we're going to take a look at a guy by the name of John the Baptist. 
We talked a little bit about him last week, but we're going to see more in the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, to say it mildly, was an eccentric, eccentric dude. Like, if Jesus was hippie, this dude was hippie of hippies. He lived out in the wilderness. He had clothes of camel hair. I don't know if he skinned them himself or what, but he kind of reading from the story, maybe he did that. He ate locusts and honey. I guess to wash down the locusts. <laughs> honey. He, he preached and he yelled and repent and repent. And had the, he was probably a little bit more like a street preacher, but, 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 but at the same time, more love than the street preacher and more forgiveness than the street preacher. He's kind of an eccentric dude. I'm going to pick it up in John chapter 1. And, and you're like, wait a minute, John the Baptist, did he write John, this John that you're talking about? No, no, we got two Johns. I mean, everybody knows at least two Johns in your life, right? A popular name then, popular name then, now. And so we got two Johns. We got John the Baptist. We can call the, 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 this other John, John the writer, or John the disciple. And, and John the disciple walked with Jesus for three years, two and a half to three years. And, and he was the youngest disciple. He was one of the, the closest disciples to Jesus. And before John the writer or John the disciple died, he wrote down the story of Jesus that he physically saw. This isn't something that came 400 years after Jesus lived. This is somebody that walked with Jesus and wrote it down before he died in about AD 90. And he's writing about this guy by the name of John the Baptist, John 1:19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? Nothing new, right? Nothing new under the sun. Who are you? You're this weird guy in the wilderness. Who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the rumors or whatever you're thinking, maybe. I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? Well, you told me who you're not, so who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No. Now, Elijah, it isn't that they were saying you're, 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 you're this, this resurrection of the Old Testament Elijah. There's a dude in the Old Testament that, that's Elijah, an interesting story, a fascinating story. But, but what, what, what the Old Testament talks about is that there is going to be one coming in the line of Elijah to prepare people for the Messiah. But here John says no, and then as we read the story, you're going to be like, wait a minute. John lied? Here's what John's doing. I use this illustration a lot, but he's kind of Bill Belichicking it. He's answering the question without answering the question, but he's answering it in his own way. Politicians do this as well. Answer the question without answering it, but they answer it in their own way. He's like, no. What he's doing is setting them up for answering this question in his own way. Are you the prophet we are expecting? Now, this is interesting. Every good reporter will ask a follow-up question that is different, but the same. John just said, I'm not the Messiah. Now the prophet, the prophet is tied to Deuteronomy, another Old Testament book where Moses said, there's going to be a prophet coming that is greater than me. And basically, this is tied to the Messiah, the special one that we know of as Jesus. And so they're asking, are you the prophet? Which, which John's probably like, I just answered that question for you. No, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guy that's going to come. 
then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. We got bosses too, bro. They want an answer. They want an answer more than I am not the Messiah. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He gives him kind of this riddle from the Old Testament. Again, he's answering the question the way he, he's controlling the situation because he knows these guys aren't up to any good. He's controlling the situation. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. I am the guy that is preparing you for God. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah the prophet, what right, what right do you have to baptize? We didn't send you out here. You're not from our seminaries. You're not from our schools. We, you don't have the, 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 the position or the title or the name to be out here ministering. So what on earth are you doing out here baptizing? You're not following the protocol that we have. You're not one of us. What are you doing? John told them, I baptize with water. Boys, this is just water. It's water. It's Jordan River. It's just water. It's muddy. It's kind of gross. I'm out here. I'm just baptizing with water. It's no big deal. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Interesting. Jesus is somewhere in the crowd. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. They were big in seniority, and, 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 and John started his ministry before Jesus, but what John is saying is that be, even though he's going to start his ministry after mine, this dude's way too big for me. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe and take his shoe off. Imagine me like playing pickup basketball, and then LeBron James showing up. I'm like, hey, I'm not worthy to be on this court. But then now we're dealing with God here. That's what John's saying. Like, I'm not, he's going to come after me, but this dude's way too big for me to take off his shoe. You know, if Jesus has a work, and if Jesus is God, and maybe for some of you it's difficult, it's a difficult stretch to say Jesus is God, but just, just roll with me for a moment. If Jesus really is God, and he came here to earth, and he actually had a work to do, wouldn't we not want to miss that work? I mean, if God showed up, we wouldn't want to miss that work. When, when Ty Pennington and Extreme Home Makeover rolled up into Joplin, I mean, people drove for hours to go out and, go out and be a part of that work. Now, if that show re-energized and came to Republic, I think probably most of us would try and sign up to be a volunteer. Because Why? Because we wouldn't want to miss out on that work. And Ty seems to be a pretty cool guy, but Ty's not God. And if God showed up, we wouldn't want to be, miss that work. So how do we make sure that we don't miss the work of God, the work of Jesus? Don't play religious games. On your cheat sheet, it's a little different. And on the, on the screen, it's going to be a little bit different. But religion leads us to miss the work of Jesus. Don't play religious games. And you know what the games that religious people, religious guys play? The games of position and protocol. You don't have the right position. You don't have the right title. You don't have the right name. You don't have the right family. You don't have the right schooling. So therefore, you're not following the right protocol. It's not right. Maybe for some of you that 
that stepped out of church. Like that, that, that's my story. I got tired of the position. I got tired of the protocol. I got tired of trying to jump through hoops and figuring out what hoop to jump. I'm like, ah! Enough of this. It's the deacons that thought that just being a deacon gave them spirituality. It's the, it's the pastor that thought that his, his position gave him, gave him ability to do stuff. If you don't have the right name, we're going we're gonna to take, take communion a little bit later. And a lot of what, what this plays out, you see in baptism, the ordinances, and the, just two things that, that God gave us to be symbols of what the work that he did, of, of baptism and, 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 and communion. I mean, I've heard of stories of, of saying, well, you can't baptize youth. There's not going to be a staff member there. Well, you, you, the youth go on that retreat and the youth can't do communion. There's not going to be a deacon there to pass out the elements. Really? Really? God gave the ordinances to the church. Who's the church? Staff? Deacons? Well, God's people. I long for the day when I baptize only a few people. The buddy leads a buddy to Christ and that buddy baptizes them because they're a Christian. And we do communion the way we do because nothing special about a certain pe- person passing out crackers that don't taste all that good anyway. Are these things important? Absolutely. But let's put the emphasis on the right syllable, Right? Is the importance the position and protocol of who does what? Or is the importance the symbol of the work of Jesus? Since we don't want to miss the work of Jesus, how do we make sure we don't miss the work of Jesus? How do we make sure we don't miss the work of God? You see that. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. For some reason, whatever reason it was, that the next day, it was the day that John was supposed to reveal who Jesus was. And, and, and Jesus comes up, and in the middle of the crowd, John goes, Look! It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And my guess is, my guess that we don't know this from the text, but just reading Jesus, knowing about Jesus' life a little bit, and, 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 and knowing who he, who he is and what he's like, Jesus didn't go up to John the Baptist and have a big old cheesy grin on his face and go, that's right, yeah. My guess is that John, Jesus was a little bit like, John, can you tone it down a little bit? That's nice, that's true, but easy. 
This year we took two boys to school. On the first day of school, we have our oldest, Elijah. He's in first grade, so therefore it's the second year of school. And Josiah, uh, he's a kindergartner, so uh, uh, that was his, his first day of school. And we took him into the school, and, and we took uh, Elijah to his classroom. And so uh, they were all pumped. They were all excited because they got to see the, their buddies for the first time from, from the summer. And, and everybody's excited. And there was a little boy that came up that was in Elijah's class last year, but wasn't going to be in his class this year. And, and he came up, and he goes, hey, it's Elijah! It's Elijah! Hey, everybody, it's Elijah! Hey, hey, it's Elijah! It's Elijah! It's Elijah! And Elijah is like, oh, stop. <laughs> and every once in a while now, when I'm feeling kind of snarky at the dinner table, I'm like, hey, it's Elijah! It's Elijah! And I'm like, stop. <laughs> so I imagine Jesus being a little bit like, stop. That's okay, that's good. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then, John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when John sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he's the chosen one of God. And you're like, whoa, what is this all about? And not seeing him and the doves and that's weird. And Wow, what's going on here? John and Jesus were cousins. And so the accusation could be that John was just looking out for his homeboy cuz, Jesus. That he's inflating who Jesus is. And what John is saying is, I didn't know he was the Messiah. Sure, I heard rumors. Sure, we went to the family reunion. People were, you know, Jesus. But we lived in separate towns. We were cousins. I kind of heard rumors, but I didn't know. I mean, he trained to be a carpenter. He was from some poor, impoverished city. I, I didn't know for sure he was the Messiah, but God did tell me. God did tell me that, that, that the one that you are going to reveal about is the one that there's going to be a dove representing the Holy Spirit come and land on him. And that story is told in the other three Gospels. And John, the writer, assumes that you've read the other three Gospels because he, he wrote the last one, or his last. And John's like, this is the one, this is the guy that the dove landed on. So this is the guy that's going to bring in the Holy Spirit. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've all been waiting for. And what John is doing, he is setting up, he is setting up everybody because everybody's going to be sizing up Jesus. Everybody's going to be wondering, who are you and what are you going to be doing? They're sizing up Jesus to know if he's really the Messiah. Prove it to me. Give me signs. The truth is out there, so let me know what the truth is. Everyone's going to be sizing him up. So John is just laying the foundation and saying, when you size him up, just take this into account. God told me that there's going to be a dove that lands on this guy and landed on him. And according to the other Gospels, it, it happened right then and there and, 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 and among everybody, so they were all able to see this. But what did John tell us about the work of Jesus? What did John tell us about that? Look! Here's the Lamb of God. 
tells us who Jesus is in a different, different way. The Lamb of God, this is a, ref- a reference back to the Passover, which we, we dealt with a few weeks ago. The Passover is the time when, when the, 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 a lamb was killed and it represented that the sins of that family or the sins of the nation went on that lamb and it was killed, it shed its blood to, to, to kill the sins of the entire nation or the people. Look, this, here's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. I don't know maybe what some of you are thinking. Hold on a second. Thought y'all were cool. Thought y'all were cool. I mean, the band was cool. I'm still sizing you up. Don't know about you, but the band was cool. But I don't know about that S word. I don't know about that S word. I've been to other churches and that S word, that, that, that sin word. I, I thought you guys were cool. I, I don't know about that word. I don't, I don't know about that. A few things to know about sin. It's kind of like armpits, buttholes. Everybody's got them, and they ain't pretty. All right? Everybody's got them, and they ain't pretty. Everybody's got sin. I've got sin. You've got sin. And it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. And maybe your experiences, it seemed like everybody else didn't sin, but I do. Everybody's got sin, and it ain't pretty. And you know what else? Whatever list you have walking in of what sin is and what sin isn't, I don't really care what that list is. I don't care if it's different than mine. I don't really care if it's different from God's. And you know what? I don't know that God really cares if it's different from his or not at this moment in time. If you read over the story of Jesus' life and you look at the ministry of Jesus and the work of Jesus and what Jesus did, it really looked like he didn't really care what list of sin you had whether the list of sin you did or what you considered to be sin or not. And you know what? That got him in a lot of trouble by the religious guys because they had their list of sin and it had to match. Your list of sin had to match their list of sin because their list of sin, by and large, you know, lo and behold, was God's list of sin. Kind of funny how that works. And that got Jesus in trouble for watering down the gospel. We've heard that phrase, right? Watch KY3. There's a commercial talking about people watering down the gospel. Guess what? Jesus watered down the gospel. And he was the gospel. Because he didn't show up with a list of sins to hammer people with. It seemed like through his ministry, he just really didn't care what people's list of sin was. He met them where they were. And so whether your list of sin is different than my list of sin, doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if your list of sin, what you think sin is, is different from God's. It doesn't really matter. He'll meet you right where you are. Because you know what else I know about you and what I know about me? It doesn't matter what list of sin you have and what you think is and isn't a sin. I, 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 would, I would venture to believe that you've broken at least one of them. Your own list of sins. Your own list. You've probably broken at least one. You know what we call that? Hypocrite. You know what I've done? I've broken my own list. You know what we call that? Hypocrite. Someone who doesn't live up to the own standard that they 
have themselves. That's why when a pastor flames out on the news, what do we call him? Hypocrite. Guess what? We're all there. Because we all have our own list. And we've all broken our own list. You know what sin is? You notice that John used the word sin and not sins? See, our list is actually the fruit of sin. Whatever is on your list, lust, anger, adultery, um, uh, cheating, stealing, whatever's on your list, that's all only the fruit of sin. That's the fruit of sin. You know what sin is? Doing it my way instead of God's way. Doing it my way instead of God's way. And it, but some of you are like, whoa, hold on. See, that's where I got you too because I don't really care about God's way. Let me ask you this. Where do you think your list came from? Because I know me. And I know that I wouldn't have a list if it was up to me. Right? I wouldn't have a list of right and wrong. It'd all be right. I, would, I need an outside influence for me to even have a list. And that's exactly what is happening in your life as well. The fact that you have a list means that there's something or someone influencing you that's beyond you. And sin, what sin is, is doing it my way, not God's way. You're like, I don't know about that. Fathers, fathers. What sets you off quicker than anything else? When your kids end up saying, I want to do it my way, thank you. (laughs) So where do you think that comes from? Perhaps the Heavenly Father that created every single one of us. Sin is doing it my way, not God's way. And you know what the work of Jesus is? Removing that from us. Removing that attitude from us. Removing that mindset from us. It's not necessarily removing lust from us. It's not necessarily forgiving us for uh, adultery. It's not necessarily forgiving us for lying. What, what, what Jesus came to do was his work was to remove the attitude and the worldview and, 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 and our mindset that I am going to do it, as Frank, Frank Sinatra saying, my way. The work of the Lamb is to forgive sin, it's to remove the attitude of it's going to be my way. So what if, what if, Unbeknownst to me, before I took my car in to the car repair, a bunch of the workers came together and said, you know what, you know what, Shane is taking his car to other car repair shops. He's committing car repair adultery. How dare him? (laughs) What can we do to win him back? What can we do to win him back? 
One guy raised his hand and said, I I know what we can do. When he comes in the next time, we can yell at him. (laughs) I don't think that's it. Another guy, you know what what we can do? We 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 can tell him our standards and what it is and our list and... I know what we can do. We can shame him. How dare you go anywhere else? One guy kind of pushed to the back. I've got an idea. What if, the next time he comes in, what if we said, all repairs forever are free? That'll win him back. That'll take his heart, his attitude, his mindset that some other car repair can be the best. That'll take that all away from him. And he'll only want to come here. Only want to come here. When I told that to Nicole, she was like, so... You're going to give them the picture that God and the angels kind of got together in a staff meeting. You know what 1 Peter 1.20 says? Before the foundation of the earth, God put together the plan to send His Lamb of God to remove the sin of the world. He knew this was going to happen before He created the earth. But every one of us going to do it my way and despite that he created this earth he created Adam and Eve and he created every single one of us but his plan was I want to send Jesus so that they will be forgiven and so that their attitude of it being my way can be removed from them forever That way they will never stop coming back to me. Why should I give authority to Jesus over my life? Because he came to give us God's forgiveness. He came to remove the attitude of do it my way. That's why he came. The question is, are you tired of doing it your way? Are you done doing it your way? Like, wait, but, but what if I say I'm done, but then, then, then my way comes back? See, the beauty of being forgiven is that when my way comes back, we recognize it. And this is where new Christian or Christians, actually this is where in a lot of ways that they actually fall out of church because they, the my way comes back, and then, and then because, because nobody's told them any different or because people have told them to do this, they go, I'm just going to try harder. Wait a minute. Hold on. Time out. If my way messes us up, trying harder at my way is going to do what? Mess us up even worse. Right? Like, if you, if you time something by a negative, what do you get? A negative. If you, if you try to do a negative harder, what do you get? Further negative. Worse negative. You get more negative. 
Instead, you go, hey, God, my wife came back. Oops, I did it again. Can you remove that from me, please? Grace upon grace upon dump truck full of grace. That's what that is. Religious games want you to think that you have to try harder. Jesus came so that you can stop trying. And that you can just experience his grace through his forgiveness. Question is, are you done doing it my way? Are you to a point where you're done, done doing it your way? You're like, I'm tired of this. I want you to remove my way from me so that I can have your way. Maybe for some of you, that's maybe something that happened a long time ago. So you said that or something like that, but my race crept back and crept back and crept back and crept back. Are you ready for a revive? Ready for a refreshing? No. God, I'm sorry I've let my way creep back into my life. Can you remove that, please? You know what my way does? Deep down inside, we all know this, but depending on how long you've been living your way, it depends on how deep you have to go to find it. My way produces darkness and brokenness and death and decay and frustration. Chaos. John said, John the writer said about Jesus that Jesus produces light and life. And it is from God's way that we find life and light. Not, I just got to adhere to a bunch of rules. Just buck it up and do it. But to go, my way is done. I want your way. Are you done with your way? The band plays and we have a time of reflection. That's the question. The band's going to start moving around here, but in order to not be distracted, why don't we close our eyes and kind of get in an attitude of prayer. And Do you know this is something we started doing and you know the question that's coming. And I just ask you to put at least a little bit of action to the, to, to the question of saying, if you would raise your hand to answer yes, I am done doing it my way. I'm tired of doing it my way. Can you please pray for me? Whether, whether this is the first time you said that or, or you've done that a long time ago, but my way screeched back and blah, blah, blah. I am done doing it my way. Can you please pray for me to, to, to get it? And... Anybody say that this morning? Please take that step and say, I'm done doing it my way. I need God's forgiveness. I need God to remove that from me. I'm done doing it my way. Shelly's going to be in the back of the room. This today, I'm going to stand right up here. 
And we're going to have communion during this song. And what this is, is simply just a little piece of bread that rep- represents the flesh of Jesus, represents the body of Jesus that, that was broken so that we can have the removal of our way. And the juice represents the, the, the blood of Jesus that was spilled out for the cleansing of my way. That's all this is. We practice what's called open communion here. All we ask is that at some point in time, you have said, my way is enough. I want your way. That's all we ask. Whether you go to another church, whether you're members of another church, it doesn't matter to us. Just that you said that. And guess what? If you said that five seconds ago, you've said it. You said it. And we will respect you if you stay in your seat and and say, I'm not ready for this yet. Because this is the utmost example, utmost example of the forgiveness of God, this symbol of the bread and the cup. And as you come, as you come while the band plays, make sure, make sure your heart is right. Make sure you're with God and that you're like, man, God, just forgive me. Whatever's going on in your life and God's dealing with just. And then when you're ready, just come and participate. As a single or as a family, it doesn't matter. You don't have to wait for me to give it to you. We talked about that earlier. Take it yourself. But do it in an absolute celebration that God has given us grace upon grace upon dump truck full of grace by forgiving us and removing our attitude. Do it my way. Who is ready? Who is ready to have their way removed from them? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Move in people's hearts. Move in people's lives. Let them see you work and feel you work and experience your work. Lord, have somebody find your forgiveness right here and right now and feel the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit over their life just like John talked about. Remove every one of us. Remove our way from us. We've all, we've all done this. We've all been there. We've done this today. We've done this yesterday. We've all removed that from us. And by your power, let us go out and see you work in other people who need their way removed because their way is causing darkness. Thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You have listened to the Crosspoint Podcast. We want to answer your questions about Jesus. Feel free to ask us anything. Email at info at crosspointfellowship.net or like our Facebook fan page by searching My Crosspoint. And remember, we are here to serve.